Hi, everybody. Welcome to the March Madness, the March 23rd, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Ducidi. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on conservative commentator Ann Coulter speaking at the University of Colorado at Boulder this week. Her speech calling out immigrants and Muslims sparked outrage and protest and ultimately led to at least 100 people who were in the audience to walk out before she concluded. Patty Calhoun from Westward, we're used to people walking out uh, at 100 at a time of a Colorado Inside Out taping. But what did you think of what happened with Ann Coulter? Well, they should have done what I did last time I heard Ann Coulter, which is just nap through the speech. She <laughs> is incredibly predictable, but it's also predictable that there would have been a protest. People are allowed to speak. They should have just let her speak and protested outside. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, Ann Coulter's going to be making a guest appearance on Devil's Advocate with John Kildare. I can't remember the actual date, but it's going to be coming up soon. What did you think of uh, the reaction and the fact that the speech still continued? It wasn't shut down, at least, but CU. Well, that, that makes CU a bastion of, of free speech compared to the uh, cultural revolution led by the uh, fascist Red Guards that's going on in, in many other universities around the country. So good for CU and good for the students. Obviously, they, they were going to walk out at a particular moment, regardless of, of what she'd said. I mean, she could have endorsed Nancy Pelosi to be the next pope, and that they still would have walked out. But So it was a little selfish to take 100 spaces from somebody who wanted to listen to the speech, but relatively mild and, uh, compared to other places. I, I've known her since 1989, long, long before she was famous. Over the decades, she has become less of a serious and clever policy analyst and more of a performance artist, sort of a, a, a John the Baptist uh, for, for Milo uh, Yiannopoulos, who's the most ridiculous I extreme of that. Um, and I would say her last book, uh, titled In Trump We Trust, uh, somewhat undermines her uh, credibility as a uh, predictor of political events. You know, David, I appreciate the fact that we're entering into Holy Week after uh, Sunday, yeah. that you're able to bring in a John the Baptist. But that, that's, yeah. that's, that's high-level analysis that viewers have come to expect here <laughs> in Colorado Inside Out. Eric Sonnen, political analyst, uh, uh, were you surprised at least that the speech was able to continue uh, even with the walkout? Yeah, I mean, as David pointed out, compared to what has become the norm on too many college campuses, this went really relatively smoothly. Uh, I think it is a misnomer to call Ann Coulter a conservative commentator. She is a wacky commentator. There's no serious intellectual content of the conservative stripe or of any stripe. Uh, it's equally a misnomer to call, you know, the protesters, whether it's at CU or any college campus these days, liberals. There's plenty of thoughtful intellectual liberals. These people are autocrats um, and, and, and way beyond uh, liberal in terms of their rejection of any tenet of free speech. The best thing to do with the Ann Coulters of the world, let them speak and just ignore them. Just ignore them. Um, David said performance artist, good phrase. Uh, she is all about the hype and not about the content. Ed Sealever from the Denver Business Journal joins us, rounds up the panel. Uh, all about substance, never about hype. Uh, Ed, wrap it up for us. What do you think? Well, I mean, while we're talking about when they walked out and who walked out, I think we're missing this point. This was actually an opportunity. I mean, Lord knows Boulder needs uh, a second helping of diversities of opinions when it comes to things like environment and comes to uh, immigration. This could have been an opportunity to actually have that conversation. Clearly, she had no interest in this. And, and it's right from the article like she even you know had hoped to get them to leave by what she said i think it's just a missed opportunity for everyone to have a good conversation up there 
During a 710 KUS radio interview with CIO's own Craig Silverman, the lawyer of former City of Denver, the former City of Denver employee Wayne McDonald, noted a new lawsuit may be on the horizon. According to Westward, William Sultan claims that Hancock's recent mentioning of McDonald firing may have violated the initial agreement. Patty, we have to give you credit first off. You're the first person to say there might be some more, more news to talk about. Last week we thought we'd be done with it. We're certainly not. Uh, from what you can see, the different stories that came out this week between the city council possibly looking at uh, an investigation after the victim said it, it wouldn't be a problem, uh, and the, what we heard on the Silverman show, your thoughts? Well, the most significant thing last week was when the council sent out a letter saying we're not going to recommend a, um, an investigation, among other things that would be re-victimizing the victim without talking to the victim, which uh, we saw her talk to Tony Kobaleski this week, and she said, no, I would like an investigation. And what we have to remember is an investigation isn't necessarily a witch hunt. It's just a search for the truth. And in fact, if they get to the bottom of things, it'll shut things down if if they don't find anything worse. And it'll let us actually get onto the big issues in this city before the next election in May 2019. But there are certain issues we certainly need to look at. I talked about it last week that Wayne McDonald was moved off the security detail more than two months before he was fired. So clearly something was going on there. When she got the settlement, but he was already gone. Uh, you know, she got it a year later. and. Carrie Kennedy, who was then the financial, chief financial officer of the city, didn't know about the settlement. Now the, there's a reason, because there's a whole little fund you can use for settlements in the city of Denver that the chief financial officer doesn't have to sign off on. But I think we want to know about that. We want to know why Wayne McDonald got $200,000 and still feels he's got a reason to sue. So it's not just an issue of is this sexual harassment or not. It's are we hiring the wrong people and then paying way too much to get rid of them? Mm -hmm. David, you're the esteemed lawyer at the table. So uh, we had a lawyer talking to a lawyer on a radio talk show. So I take it with a huge grain of salt. But are there some <laughs> legal issues there, too, that we, we should be considering as we look at this issue? Well, the, the Craig Silverman's show is actually serious discussions with, with high-quality lawyers. It's not like these like having Gloria Allred on... Uh, that nutty show on on headline Nancy Grace, that that, that has no you'll be stupider after you watch one of those. And if you listen to Craig's show, you'll you'll learn more. Uh, this this is important news. It shows my political prognostications are sometimes wrong. Because last week I said things were over, and then the victim stepped forward and said, "No, I, it, just like Patty said, I would like an investigation." As she said, and in Westward is one of the plays things that's filling the gap by the uh, the slow strangulation of, of the Denver Post uh, to really report on on City Hall. Uh, I think that there's certainly going to be an investigation now and and who knows what what it will turn up. Uh, you know based on the evidence we've seen so far maybe maybe not much but as she also said there's so much that's opaque about the Denver City government that you can have this little slush fund is like oh we got to pay somebody off but and we can do it to make it a secret payoff or not very public, uh, where the, our own city's chief financial officer doesn't even know about that. Could you imagine, like, if, if Exxon, you know, paid somebody lots of money and the, the head of Exxon's finances wasn't even told about it? You know, that, that, that's absurd. 
I, I completely agree. Eric, before being a political uh, analyst, your political consultant, I can imagine somebody calling you up for advice about this. If Mayor Hancock calls you for advice saying, should he actually push for an investigation, like uh, Patty said, because that might stop all the, the, the dripping we've been hearing for the last few weeks, is that uh, should he support that actually happening from the council? It depends what he knows that I, in this hypothetical scenario as his advisor, don't know. Uh, it depends, you know, what is out there that an investigation is going to uncover. I can't answer that generically. I think you have to uh, answer it in the situation. First of all, credit to Patty. Uh, some of us last week said, you know, the drip dripping. The faucet was slowly turning off on this, and Patty said, no, there are plenty more drips in that faucet. And, uh, I think the faucet is still running quite nicely on this story, and I think that's the real danger to Michael Hancock is that the, the story doesn't seem to end. The settlement angle, the Wayne McDonald, that he wouldn't have settled for $200,000 if he had known these other pieces at the time, is an interesting angle. That I assume it gets litigated in court or at least argued between attorneys, and maybe they have to dig back into the slush fund to sweeten the $200,000 pot, but that would be done this time presumably with Tony Kovaleski and a bunch of other reporters all over it, that would be done in in broad daylight and and, and you know then the faucet is running um, at, at, at full volume. I think there's a potential here for the story to morph a little bit as we've as Patty and David both referenced and maybe it becomes a little less, less about the sexual innuendo and, and whatever else har harassment and it morphs into a story about financial management at City Hall and where these settlements are being paid for and mm -hmm. what unaccounted taxpayer money is out there that's getting thrown away to, to deal with private misbehavior. And that is a story that could have long legs and that uh, no incumbent wants. And there's plenty of issues in Denver to be talking about uh, besides uh, the intrigue in City Hall and different uh, harassment and settlement claims. But do you think we'll see more headlines about this in the future, uh, seeing what we've seen this week? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I think this is clouding the talk about other issues. I mean, I was flipping through uh, the AM dials the other day, and I, I heard a, a talk show host say that this is clearly evidence why Hancock's in the pocket of developers because they're protecting him from even greater sexual liaison stories coming out and 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 just to hear that makes you think people are attacking Hancock from all angles from the far left from the far right he's not doing uh, anything that a lot of groups want him to do right now but he's still got a big agenda he's got a real big agenda about how to make sure the growth of this city goes uh, well and not overdone and not not stopped and and he uh, I think he really needs to get this out of the way to continue back to that agenda. And so I think we're going to see more about it, and he might be more willing to come out and talk about these things, the reference to, you know, the investigation, if it'll clear this off the plate and he can get back to doing what he's been doing for the last few years. The state Senate passed a major budget compromise this week that included two Senate Republicans joining Democrats in passing a measure to fund transportation. The bill would allow one time, the one-time investment of $500 million and then a ballot question to increase funding sent to the voters in 2019, depending on what happens in 2018. The move is part of other major budget proposals all being considered this week. 
we usually go to David on topic two, which uh, we, uh, there's no reason not to this way, except we have our guy in the hill in being Ed Sealever. So, Ed, we're going to go to you first. Let us know what the big update is right now and a part of this intrigue where we saw, even though the Republicans have a one-seat advantage in the Senate, the Democrats held the day on this one. Yeah, this is one of those great examples, uh, or terrible examples, depending on the way you look at it, where a bill is going through that now has things in it that neither side wants in it, and it's uh, the art of compromise here. Uh, if you remember, Senate Bill 1 began as a bill that would take 10% of the state's general fund sales tax revenues, put them each year to transportation for the next 20 years, and use the great majority of that, about $250 million a year, to pay back $3.5 billion in bonds to take care of uh, choke points on I-70, I-25, etc. Um, Democrats came right out and said, we don't want bonding. We don't want bonding. We think we're mortgaging our future. Republicans said, look, we've got to do something. We can't not put money into it, especially as, as more forecasts came out and said, look, we've got a surplus of funds for next year. Well, Monday comes along, the latest economic revenue forecast comes out, and it turns out we've got $1.3 billion more next year to spend than was budgeted as of Monday. Um, and this did two things. One, it made the Democrats realize, in my opinion, that they can't just flat out reject a transportation spending bill. That is not going to work going into the, uh, to the election this year. So what they did, and this is really the product of Senator Rachel Zenzinger of, Aurora, of Arvada, um, uh, came up with this idea that, one, you cut down, instead of 10% of the general fund going into it, you cut it down to $250 million a year. That is enough to repay the bonds each year. And the Republicans said, we're fine with that. That's okay. That's what we want to do. Then Zenzinger threw in the curveball and said, oh, and the election is going to be in 2019. The reason she did that is they want to see if the Denver Chamber's sales tax hike initiative that they are still working on would pass in 2018 because the Democrats would prefer that. They prefer not to bond from the state. They prefer that the taxpayers okay this long-running uh, stream of revenue. Republicans did not like that, but two Republicans, Owen Hill of Colorado Springs and Don Corm of Montrose, uh, got behind this, and, and Hill said it quite eloquently. He said, look, I was sent up here to do something about transportation. This creates a bill that the Democrats in the House almost can't not vote for at this point, and so it gets something done. This is either the art of compromise or the art of kicking the can down the road, uh, but right now it looks like there is a bill that will be able to make it to John Hickenlooper's desk that will do immediate funding and the potential for longer-term funding for transportation. Patty, we have found that it's been very easy to be cynical around the stable, but have we just seen the art of compromise at the Colorado State Legislature? Yes, and without anybody grabbing anybody else, as far as we can tell. Uh, this was very impressive, especially as you watch in Congress as they're fighting over the omnibus bill that Trump apparently just signed. But it, it's a very elegant compromise, considering how ugly it was going into it, that they worked out something that it does look like will pass the House, that is putting some immediate money into a big concern, and that the postponement of the tax is really smart because that'll save a lot of Democrats and we'll see if the Chamber of Commerce is able actually to put that on the ballot and get it passed. David, what do you think? Do we, are we going to see a variety of uh, transportation funding ideas in the ballot this year? Well, yes. 2019, if you want to raise taxes, this, this is what they, the tax consumers always want to do is they want to have the tax increase votes to, so they take money out of other people's pocket and put it in theirs to postpone that vote, to have it in odd-numbered years when turnout is lower, so they've got a better chance of getting their special interests uh, to the ballot box. There's more than enough money in the state budget currently, even before the extra $1.3 billion, for adequate funding of roads. But the Democratic Party 
is so tied to all the special interests they want to give money to that they're doing the Washington Monument strategy is, oh, yeah, we have enough money for all kinds of things in government and bloat and waste, but if you want adequate roads, one of the basic things any government should provide, then you'll have to have increased taxes. Uh, the Independence Institute's position is obviously different. We're promoting the, the Fix Our Damn Roads uh, ballot initiative, which would say with existing money, there's easily enough to get ahead and start fixing our roads. Colorado is a more prosperous state than Utah. Utah has decent roads. Colorado does, doesn't. It's purely a matter of priority. Uh, and maybe this is the this minimal thing is the best that can be gotten through this legislature. But it's it's a sign of a long-term deficiency in governance in Colorado uh, that are the quality of our roads. Eric, what do you think about the estimation that the House <clears throat> now kind of has their hands tied to actually vote for this thing because that they refuse? They're they're really turning down a a, a uh, artful democratic compromise in the Senate. I, I, I think Ed's analysis is essentially right, uh, and I think the House would have to tread very carefully to amend it substantially, much less to reject it. Let me come at it real quickly from two angles. One is I think it is big picture indicative that we are now getting to the heart of the session. We have the big issues are being talked about all of a sudden, transportation, education funding, the long bill is hitting within the next week or so, uh, and then the other one being para. Let me focus, the, the other three, starting with Ed, focused on the transportation piece. Let me quickly reference the para piece, full disclosure, I have a professional interest uh, consulting with some of those who are pushing more aggressive reform of, of this quasi-bankrupt system. Uh, because of the state's new largesse, this $1.3 uh, billion that was found because of a strong economy, there's money being set aside 200-some-odd million for para, uh, to, to, to prop up para. I think what the assumption is going on, because there's a conflict between the House and Senate, Democrats and Republicans here, and the, the assumption is that the employer contribution of para to ramp that up further, it's already 20% plus 20, over 20%, to ramp that up even further, that the House will put that back in the bill, that the Democrats need that quote-unquote shared sacrifice for this bill to pass Democratic muster. And this money is therefore there to fund that piece, as at least as long as the economy is healthy. The corollary assumption is that the defined contribution option, the 401k, not exactly, but that style option, for younger workers who may not be in this system their whole life, given new employment patterns, that is the minimum that the Republicans need to support this bill, even though the Democrats will do their best to strip it out. So that becomes perhaps the outline of this win-win between the two parties vis-a-vis -vis para. Colorado's race for governor saw a bit of a shakeup this week. Democratic candidate Noel Ginsburg dropped out of the race following the underwhelming response at precinct caucuses earlier this month. And on the Republican side, Colorado Springs businessman Barry Farah launched his campaign claiming to be, quote, a true conservative who has a credible chance of winning in the general election. Uh, let's see, David, we didn't get to you to start a, a topic the last time, so let's let you start this one. What do you think about the recent shakeup? Uh, was Ginsburg really ever in it? And what about this Barry Farah guy? Well, maybe, you know, in retrospect, you could say Ginsburg never had a chance. But, you know, as the lottery ads used to say, you, you can't win if you don't play. Uh, we've, we've certainly had 
people in American history have won governorships for the, a more quixotic starting point than, than Noel Ginsburg did. Uh, for God's sakes, Donald Trump is the president of the United States. Uh, so, you know, why, why not? If you want to give it a try, and I'd say good for him for for giving it a shot and 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 seeing what happened, and I guess I'd say the same thing for for Barry Fair. It doesn't seem likely, but you you never know. And if you think you you'd be a good governor, uh, why not? Obviously, it would have made would have been he would have increased his chances by starting sooner. But uh, it, it's nice the system is open enough for that. I would say this um, another piece of big news in the governor's race is Michael Bloomberg coming to the rescue of Mike Johnston. Mike Johnston's 9% in the caucus was a catastrophe for him and he was down in perception. And then, you know, Mr. Moneybags comes in and says, "Well, here's a million, here's a million dollars." And that that helps Johnston a lot and so we know that uh if Johnston wins, uh, Colorado will be governed nominally uh, from the state capitol, but more so from uh, Bloomberg's mansion. Uh, Eric, uh, the developments on either side, does this tighten up considerably, the Democrats, or did uh, Noel really have too much, to, I guess, to offer to the other candidates who are running? Let me hit both sides quickly. Um, on Noel Ginsburg, I don't think it changes the fundamental equation. Most people think it's becoming largely a three-horse race. Polis, Kennedy, Johnston, in whatever order. Donna Lynn needs a jump start if she's going to be a part of this equation, and we'll see if she can get a jump start. I need to say, Noel, Noel Ginsburg is a very mature individual. He's a personal friend, even though I'm not playing in this race in any way, shape, form. He knew what the odds were going in. He knew it was a long shot, but, uh, you know, per the lottery line, he decided. You know, lightning does strike. Witness Federico Pena, witness Donald Trump. And as he put it to me over coffee once, I'm going to swing my golf club and see if I can get lightning to strike. Well, lightning usually doesn't strike, and it didn't here. And he, he made the decision to get out. It is rare you see a candidate to run for high office like that and emerge with their reputation not tarnished in any way. There is no one out there saying bad stuff about Noel Ginsburg. He made a credible and a good impression. On Barry Farah, I don't know the gentleman. It just strikes me that... Um, any chance the Republicans have to coalesce around Walker Stapleton, they do anything possible to avoid doing that. They'll keep throwing new wild cards in to avoid that coalescing. And how about that last one with Barry Ferry? It does seem that if someone's willing to even attempt a campaign the end of March in a, a gubernatorial year, that it's clearly uh, indicative that there's not a front runner in the GOP race. Well, it is also indicative of how weak the GOP uh, caucus system is right now, because Walker Stapleton is not going through it. Doug Robinson is not going through it. Victor Mitchell is not going through it. Cynthia Kaufman is going through it. And she jumped in largely because she looked at the rest of the field, this being Steve Barlock, uh, Greg Lopez, et cetera, et cetera, and said, you know, even as the moderate to liberal candidates in this race, I can still win the GOP caucus because there's not a serious conservative candidate in there. Well, Barry Farah, and I, I must admit, I don't know Barry Farah, but he clearly saw that opening to say, okay, a conservative can go in and they can get easily 30% of the vote, which is what you need to make it on the ballot, and possibly even more. Um, so I think, I think it just speaks again to, uh, to actually to the, the conservative wing of the Republican Party disdaining Cynthia Kaufman more than anything else. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I struggle to see where he's going to out conservative Stapleton at this point. Um, but uh, but it's um, but but it shows that there's still some some room to to play here. Patty, wrap it up for us. 
Well, lightning has struck before, not just Pena, but Hickenlooper, who was polling at 3% when he first got in the race for mayor and now is governor. But I don't see lightning striking Barry Farah. I mean, we just don't get a feel of a lot of charisma, which is really a problem in the Republican Party right now. No one is making a dent. It's just a lot of white bread. Um, in the Democrats, I think... We'll see a bump for Johnston after the march for our lives tomorrow. He was early out on the gun issue. That was his first TV ad even before he got the Bloomberg support or this wave of Bloomberg support. So I think we'll see a little more bump, but still it's it's much tighter with Kerry Kennedy than we would have thought before that she did really, really well in the caucus. And I'm guessing Donna Lynn may hang on, but I don't think she is going to actually be in this horse race. It is time for a fair part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. We've been a little chatty today, so let's do it quickly. Patty. Well, I'm returning to the legislature. It's interesting they actually took up something substantial because we also this week had an aide fired because he tweeted that maybe during his sex harassment training he would learn how to grab a woman's buttocks on the floor. He could just talk to Senator Baumgartner about that, and they could save some time. David. It, it was actually Snapchat, chat, which turns out to be more persistent than, uh, than I think he realized. Uh, the horrible omnibus spending bill uh, just passed by Congress and signed by President. It, whatever you think about the details in it, this is something that was in secret, and legislators had 48 hours in, for passage of this 2,300-page monstrosity. This is the opposite of the constitutional system. Uh, created by, by our founders. It is a sign of autocracy and uh, of, our of our republic uh, showing the, uh, the suicidal tendencies of similar to the late Roman Republic. Eric. Just another, another week for the current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. What we started a week with a trade war. Uh, we then cashiered one of the adults uh, in the room vis-a-vis -vis national security with uh, uh, General McMaster to replace them with a hothead as if uh, what Donald Trump needs around him is another hothead. Then we wake up this morning to some idle, nonsensical veto threat that you know was on the, on the spending bill, the budget that you knew wasn't going to get exercised. But yet, I'm guilty as anyone. We all talk about Donald Trump, and for a, nar a narcissist like Donald Trump, that's the, that's the objective. That's the, the raison d'etre. Ed. I'm not going to single any one person out, but uh, across party lines in the Senate right now, uh, it seems like everyone is far more wanting to score political points related to sexual harassment than they are to actually talk about uh, policy, which is strange because they're actually getting policy done. Um, but, uh, but the behavior's got to improve, and people have got to look for solutions. Say something, nice, say something nice about somebody, bumper sticker edition. Go. A Colorado's new women's museum in the Buyer House. David. Colorado man won the Antarctica Marathon, and that man was Todd Lubis, Director of Strategic Programs at the Independence Institute, and he uh, did it to raise money for pediatric brain cancer research. Eric. Very, very cool. Bente Berkland, we've talked about it before, reporter KNUC, almost single-handedly is changing the culture at this state capitol. Ed. Loyola Chicago is making all of us believe the little guy can win. You're here. Go Gryffindor. That's all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Be sure to take CIO wherever you go. We're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, and we're there. And you can check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a wonderful Palm Sunday, and we will see you next week.